nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 85 I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual on this lovely Valentine's Day by my fellow compatriots, Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. How are we doing? It's too cold, man. It's way too cold. I know Kyle can feel this. Adam, you're one of those aloof East Coast uh, elites now, so you don't understand it, but I'm tired of the cold, man. It was negative 17 degrees before wind chill today. I had to walk the dog. I'm just tired of walking around in the snow, it's it, it sounds like styrofoam when you're walking on it because it's so dried and cold out. Um, it, I'm tired of it, but there's a little bit of warmth amid all the colds. Our upstairs neighbors, some of our good friends, uh, they just got married yesterday, so congrats to them. So even amidst all the challenges and tribulations of the time, a little bit of uh, positivity here and there. So otherwise, doing okay. Yeah, I hate this cold. Yesterday, it was cold and snowing, so I had to go out and shovel it. And it should not snow when the temperatures are in the single digits like i am i'm of that belief i want to fight mother nature for it it was too damn cold but i guess the positive is the child is fully walking to the point that he can now walk to his nursery and close the door on me and he's got the kids got some audacity in him that's all i gotta say but yeah things are good it's just way too goddamn cold uh, I I can't think of a positive thing um, to pipe up everyone's day, heat everyone's up. I'm I don't know. It's probably not as icy out today. Yesterday, my wife and I ordered a pizza, and we walked outside, and we we're like, "Yeah, let's go pick up this pizza." And it turns out that the entire city of Philadelphia was covered in ice, so uh, it was a torturous torturous walk to get the pizza. But it's looking better today, so I guess that's my ray of positivity. Not looking quite as good for the Bucks following back-to-back losses against the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz, but we're going to kick off the week talking a little bit about the Denver Nuggets game. Of course, they're out. They've gone out on this Western Conference road trip. That's the lone win uh, since our last recording. The Bucks beat the Denver Nuggets one twenty-five to one twelve. Of course, the biggest news from that one, Kyle, before we even get into any of the scores or anything like that, was right before the game. It was announced that Drew Holiday would be inactive due to the league's health and safety protocols. Still don't believe we've gotten confirmation from the Bucks that Drew tested positive for COVID-19, but Chris Middleton seemed to let it slip in a post-game interview that Drew tested positive. So uh, the Bucks have been without him for the start of this road trip and will continue to be without him. Yeah, it was kind of weird because first it was just Drew Holiday's inactive and everyone's like, um, okay, that's odd. Not sure what's going on, but it was then followed up with. He wasn't even on, he didn't travel with the team. Even more concerning. And so now you're, everyone's like, okay, what's going on? And then it's like the league health and safety protocol, which is pretty much more or less code for COVID. Or if you were, you know, kind of similar to like Kyrie Irving, where he was gone and he had to like quarantine to make sure that he tested negative. And it was, it was just a very weird situation because it just came out of nowhere and the Bucks haven't said anything about it, which I think I, 
I understand that part because I don't think they're allowed to technically disclose it due to HIPAA, but you know, I think I don't know who's actually following it at this point with COVID and who tested positive, but it seems as though, yes, it, he did test positive. He hasn't traveled with the team. He didn't play all week. And I think it really made Milwaukee have to make adjustments. Obviously, moving Brent Forbes to starting lineup was the big change out of the starting five. But we saw, otherwise, it didn't seem like Bud really rotated that much more differently. You know, I think Torrey Craig got 23 minutes. Bobby Portis had 20 minutes. DJ, like DJ Augustine, Pat Connaughton, they were still getting the normal run that they would. Maybe just a couple more minutes here or there. But it was... It was definitely going to raise some question marks on who was going to be kind of more that ball handler, who's going to be more the lead guard. It seems as though that's going to be Dante at the moment with Chris and Giannis kind of taking on that responsibility. But get well soon, Drew, and hope to see you soon because, as we'll talk about later, he was badly missed in the two other games. Yeah, agree completely with all of that. Again, hopefully feel healthy, Drew. Uh, you know, I'm still of the opinion personally that I don't want to get COVID if I can avoid it. So I feel bad for anybody who does, even if they're relatively healthy and even if the cases they get are you know, in in an optimal case mild. But, you know, you never know with stuff like long COVID or how you're going to, you know, I think there were questions even in the bubble last year with Eric coming back, like, was he at 100%? So, you know, it could be something that lingers. So just cross our fingers, I think. You know, whatever if it's a couple games couple weeks without drew as he tries to get better it's not the end of the world it's a long season the bucks are in pretty good position so it pretty much echo what everything kyle says and you know th- there is value i think to a certain extent of everybody else trying to figure things out because right now drew especially on the defensive end was the dynamo who directed everything and it, it would be helpful to have him out there but there is value in everybody else trying to figure it out without him to have to essentially coach them the entire time so maybe there's some positives you can get out of it yeah, and at least in the in the interim for that Denver game, like you said, Kyle, rotations haven't changed a ton. It's more just a matter of some players' minute total is probably ticking up a little bit more. And then that Denver game, we really saw Chris Middleton take over as the lead playmaker for that one. Ends with 29 points, 8 rebounds, 12 assists, 3 steals. Uh, surprisingly, it goes 0 of 5 from the 3-point uh, arc, but 11-11 from the free throw line. Uh, we saw a lot of really good chemistry with Giannis, who finishes with 30 points and nine rebounds, a couple great lobs between those two. But uh, all in all, I'd say that Denver game, 125 to 112 win, was probably Chris, Chris, one of Chris Middleton's uh, better games of the season, even if it, even if he didn't make a three. Yeah, it was weird because even though he didn't make a three, he was still able to get any shot that he wanted. He was still able to kind of have full control of the gameplay. So the fact that he missed all his threes and still put up a fairly efficient night. I mean, he was more, it was a sign of a more aggressive Chris that I don't want to say we haven't seen at all this year, but we have not seen it for the full duration of a game. Like we did on Monday. Like there are definitely be like runs that he'll take over a game. There'll definitely be runs where he's going to be the guy. And it seems like in this game, he was kind of just deciding I'm going to make this happen. And it was, it was kind of, 12 assists, I feel as though it should be higher, but he was just all over the place. Like, I can't think of, like, even if you had said he didn't hit a three, I I was kind of surprised when I saw the box score just because, yeah, Chris was feeling it. And I think because of that, his chemistry with Giannis, I mean, the guys, those two have been playing together for so long that I think they finally have gotten the lob together. But it was that third quarter really is when Milwaukee was able to kind of create some distance. And once they created some distance and Chris was hitting more shots and he was helped out by the fact that 
everyone in Milwaukee was shooting relatively fine. Like even Giannis was two of five from three. They hit 40%. Torrey Craig hit three threes. Revenge That's a bit, game. Revenge I, game, Torrey Craig. It was definitely a revenge game of the sorts, but like he was hitting three threes. Like it seemed as though everyone besides Chris was hitting threes, which is the weirdest part of this whole game. But getting to the line, being aggressive, um, just an all-around great game for Chris and highlighted by him pretty much throwing a full-court pass to Giannis, who was able to dunk it. So full disclosure, this is my game of the week that I didn't bother to watch live or later on because of the end result. So I, I noticed, obviously, as you said earlier, Kyle, Bryn Forbes got drafted into the starting lineup. Um we, I think it was kind of consistent throughout the week, but was there anything notable, of, especially from Dante and Bryn, how they were being used uh, in the starters with Chris and Giannis out there? Was it just more so, I mean, they both did pretty well from the floor and Bryn from three. Was it just more so their similar role on the bench, except more playmaking duties went to Chris and Giannis and just kind of work around that? Was there any other like notable differences in the starting lineup besides that? I would say... Well, it was kind of interesting. So first play of the game goes to Bryn. So they run <clears throat> run the play right out of the start for Bryn. It's a three-pointer at the top of the key that he misses. I don't think Bryn's role changed dramatically beyond the fact that he might get a few more shots up. He's one of those guys that I think even when we thought about him potentially in a starting lineup where like he would replace Dante, his role won't change drastically. I think Dante definitely has the ball more, but I don't feel like he's been doing as much playmaking lately I feel like he's been pulling up a lot around picks and pulling up for pick and layout just three pointers um, as they get around a pick really early so I wouldn't say things changed dramatically in terms of their roles or how they performed or what the the burden was placed upon them it to me Kyle it seemed like they they just put the ball more in in Chris Middleton's hands as the playmaking role as opposed to deferring to Dante or Bryn yeah I would agree with that I mean I think Bryn his role was still relatively the same. They just maybe sought him out more while he was on the court with Giannis and Chris, which is always a good thing, I guess. Dante, I feel like they just let Dante run around and cause chaos on a defensive end. With Drew not being there, it seemed like Dante decided to take more of the defensive role in stepping up. It didn't seem that much different. It did seem more Chris Middleton-centered, which I have no complaints about. I think that it obviously worked for this game, but... Yeah, it was. It didn't feel like there was much difference. It felt as though it was a Milwaukee Bucks team that we were so used to the last few years where, you know, it's kind of just Giannis and Chris running the show and everyone else is kind of playing passenger and trying to do their part, maybe with a little bit less Eric Bledsoe. It, that's how it felt like. It felt like the Bucks of the past few seasons where those two kind of dominate it and everyone else figure out what you can do to help out. Yeah, and the Nuggets, I mean, you know, for their part, Bucks do a decent job defensively. Nuggets shoot really well from three, 15 of 36, 41.7%. So that's like a really, that's, you know, a really good mark for them. They hold Jamal Murray, who I think was coming back from an injury, but he shoots just four of 17 on the night. So really tough shooting for him. So not a huge dip in terms of, uh, of backcourt defensive performance. Will Barton certainly went off, but, you know, overall, you know, if I'm Bud, even with, you know, the Nuggets putting up a pretty healthy 114.3 offensive rating and the Bucks, you know, that's certainly a little bit above what the Bucks are allowing. I think if I'm Bud, I'd be pretty thrilled given that, you know, you lose your best defense, one of your best defenders, and then you're still able to hold the Nuggets to a pretty, pretty okay performance. And then they pull, pull, you know, Bucks pull away on the other end with Chris and Giannis leading the charge. 
Yeah, it was a really close game overall. I think they had about the same same amount of threes. I think the Bucks hit one more free throws. Mm-hmm. Bucks hit four more, but the Nuggets only missed one free throw. It, they took about the same amount of shots made. About it was very close throughout the whole game. It just seemed as though, you know, the key difference. And it's funny because the final sc- score and the victory margin shows it. Milwaukee had eighteen fast break points to Denver's five. And that 13 points is kind of the difference between Milwaukee winning and Milwaukee losing. But otherwise, it was a very even, it was an even match. And I think it was interesting to watch because this Denver team definitely is very talented. Nikola Jokic doing whatever he wanted as usual. I think he had like 35 points or something. Like it was a typical Jokic is going to destroy the Bucks kind of game. Um, but yeah, Jamal Murray struggling. But I think part of that was him just coming back. I think part of that was Torrey Craig kind of putting the pressure on him. It was it was a very entertaining game to watch. I think that's what these are the kind of regular season games where it's like if you even if you want to say they don't matter there, this is at least entertaining to watch. I think that was the same point with the Suns game. Yeah, great segue. The segue the Suns game was also I would say pretty fantastic to watch, even with a loss. Bucks lose one twenty five to one twenty four. Uh, in case you had, of course, everyone's seen it, but Giannis misses a last second shot at the buzzer that would have would have won the game. Of course, there's lots of lots more uh, shades of gray to that discussion that we will get into. But no, Giannis isn't. was no, there the, is. He <laughs> missed it, and that's all that matters. And he's a loser, and I want him to know that. <laughs> Giannis has 47 points. 17 of 21 from the free throw line. Of course, he's been significantly better from the free throw line lately. I'm not super ready or willing or interested in having that that conversation about free throws. But um, Chris Middleton looks pretty off most of the night, to be honest. 18.7 of 17 shooting. Bryn Forbes has 17 points really hot in the first half. Chris Paul and Devin Booker combined for 58. But really, uh, I mean, the reason the Bucks were in this game was Giannis from the outset, Riley. Yeah, you know what would have been nicer had he scored 49 points? Let's work on that, huh, Giannis? No, just kidding. So I didn't watch this game live. I caught up on it uh, over the weekend. In the aftermath, I would have thought, not looking at the box score, that Giannis was like playing like a real bummish Giannis game, like a Utah Jazz game where he did not have nearly as much success. Uh, no, he there's literally nothing the Suns could do for him. And I think he was perfect from the floor until that very final shot. He was like 7-7. Seven to seven. He scored 30 of his 47 points in the second half. So it's just like, you're right, totally total domination by him. And he did have – so we talked last week about him choosing to not take threes when he's, like, able to just get everything he wants inside. He misses all four of his three-point shots in this game. But I don't mind that so much because for the rest of the time, I mean – there was a, I don't know if it was just his strength. I remember everybody was like, well, you know, DeAndre Ayton, he's going to give him some trouble. He gave him no trouble at all. It's just like <laughs> time and time again, and one, and one, and one, like Drew, uh, Jay Crowder, and one. So it was just, I, you love watching these games from Giannis because there's literally, it was similar to the game last year against the Jazz where he, I think he scored 50 plus or whatever. It's just, when he is really on, it's such a joy to watch him, even when he's scoring like in the 25, 30 point games, just because it happens in a flash. You're like, oh my God, Giannis is like 15 points. And this one, he recognized, especially in the second half, that there was just nobody stopping him. And instead of going back to threes or wasting possessions that way, especially with teammates that weren't making threes that fourth quarter, if you get a single jumper to fall from either Chris, he gets that final three to get it within two. So good on Chris. But you know, I think Bryn missed his three. I think Dante missed his three. And the rest of it was like, okay, instead of keep trying that, which might have been 
helpful for the team. Giannis is like, the best shot we're going to get is me going inside right now, whether Aiton's on the floor or not. And so kudos to him. Even if that last play wasn't executed well, he had open looks all night long. He was able to force guys out of the way without charging or anything like that. So I, I just thought in watching it, those final couple of minutes, a lot of fun, either neutral or even just as a Bucks fan, just watching the back and forth. And I don't think it's the end of the world that Giannis gets that final shot because it's relatively open for him. He's perfect from the floor up until that point. You don't want him to be like allergic from the moments. You know, we've talked a lot about Chris being the guy who should take the last shot, which is still true or Drew. But there are going to be times where teams scheme those guys off. So you don't want Giannis to be totally allergic from having the ball as well. So yeah, the result doesn't go your way, but it was a lot of fun to watch. And anytime that Giannis gets going like this, I think it doesn't put a wrench in like the haters or whatever, but I think it's helpful for him to be able to dominate without having to like physically get, you know, or whatever, have fouls called on him all night long. Yeah, it was, it was a good game. It was kind of frustrating because I, I dozed off in the first half. So I missed pretty much all the first half. And I woke up and the bucks were up 12 and I was like, okay, that's cool. And Brid Forbes is got like 15 points. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. But it seemed as though, I don't know if it was because Giannis was on a roll or just, I, I don't know what it was, but it seemed odd that no one else, especially Bryn, was able to make a basket. And it was just, and then it was just yeah, give Giannis the ball. Giannis gets a layup basket. Giannis gets a dunk. Giannis gets a layup. Giannis gets a dunk. Giannis is able to get whatever he wanted. And I think also the rest were calling it for him. He had 21 free throws, which is significantly higher than everyone else on the floor. He almost took more free throws than the whole Suns team combined. So that was kind of cool, and he made 17 of them. So it's not like Giannis left too many points at the line, which was always good to see. But it was just a weird second half. It felt as though Milwaukee hit a rut, and this is where they missed Drew Holiday because I think if Drew Holiday's there, defensively Milwaukee maybe does a little bit better in the third quarter. If Drew Holiday's there, Milwaukee can at least get you know a basket or two from someone not named Giannis in the fourth quarter. If, if Drew Holiday's there, it, it's just more of that calming presence that wasn't there for the Bucks in this in this game. And I think it was just more of a frustrating thing. And for the final shot, like I had no problem with Giannis taking that shot because it was a good look. And I mean, Devin Booker had said like, thank God that Giannis took that jumper because he was able to get to the paint at will. And that's what they were afraid of. They were like, we at least kept him out of the paint. That was, that was helpful. So I agree with that. And, you know, if Chris had taken that shot in the corner, we would have all complained that, the Bucks are running the play again. They can't do anything else. Bud has no idea how to run anything different. Blah, 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 blah. It's like they did something different. Giannis had a good look. Out of anyone on the Bucks, I would have trusted him to take that final shot anyway with how the game was going. So, yeah. Could, could they have passed it to Chris in the corner? Kind of. It seemed like Chris Paul was there. So, even if Middleton gets it, Chris Paul is able to defend it for that time. Let Giannis take the shot. He He's the reason why this game wasn't a complete blowout in the second half. So let him take that final shot. It was a good look. It just didn't go in. And that sometimes happens. And at the same time, you need to have other ways of getting a final shot off instead of run Chris to the corner. Yeah, I, I think Chris having a really tough night. Um, I, I think it was in both the third. And I think Giannis only sat for like a minute in the fourth quarter. So it was mostly a third quarter where it was like, 
but we don't have Drew, and guys are really cooled off. So let's just see if like Chris and four subs can try and like patch over the minutes that Giannis isn't out there. And they just couldn't get a basket to go for the, their lives. It was either like Dante like blew a couple of layups, like <laughs> which was you know kind of a theme throughout the week, or Chris, you know, the fact that he was kind of off kilter throughout the entire game, and then trying to be like, okay, can you get going and try and shepherd this entire like all sub unit? Those are the minutes that I think probably lost the game. I mean, obviously, when it's that close, any sort of basket could win it for you. But stuff like that where it's then you have to essentially fall back again on Giannis. Like, Giannis just power us back through into the game. Um, you know, those, that's where it was. So not great that Chris wasn't able to get it going enough with the subs. But it, like we said before, not having Drew out there hurts. I wouldn't even say the defense killed the team. So they... In those possessions where Chris Paul and Devin Booker, which is it was kind of their show in the fourth quarter, especially, I thought the defense on them was decent. Um, the, you know, a lot of the, Devin Booker's is a really good tough shot maker, and he's like built to exploit the zone drop scheme because he's so good at floaters or like trying to get that mid range shot. Uh, the we can probably talk about this too. Felt like there was a lot of times where trying to figure out the switch, and then all of a sudden the defense starts crumbling. There was a lot of Phoenix Suns threes where it was like. You know, three dude, three bucks are running after a wide open shooter because the every the defense is totally falling apart, and so it, it was a little bit backbreaking. A lot of the threes, I think Phoenix went nine to sixteen from distance in the second half. That's probably also hurting you in that you're able to keep up on Chris and Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but everybody else gets open enough. I, I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I don't know how to diagnose what went wrong for us in the second half on the defensive end. Yeah, I don't. It's kind of weird because I feel like, well, that whole end of the third quarter was just a mess. I'm looking at it right now. Chris Middleton enters the game for Giannis at the three-minute, three-second mark of the third quarter. Bucks are up by 10, 97, 87. Bobby Portis gets a basket. Okay, 99, 87. And then Frank Kaminsky gets two free throws. Jake Carotta makes a free throw. Devin Booker hits a three. Cameron Johnson hits a three. Frank Kaminsky gets a tip shot. So now... That lead is down to one. Thankfully, Chris Middleton had a step back shot before the quarter ended, but it was just like there were a lot of like Chris missing a pull. Chris misses a shot, bad pass from Middleton. McConaughey misses a three. Tory Craig misses a three. Bobby Portis gets like misses a shot. Chris like it was just yeah, the offense completely fell apart after Chris went in for Giannis, and it it is what it is. But defensively, I, yeah, it just seemed like Milwaukee couldn't get the stops that they needed and somehow Frank Kaminsky was able to take advantage of it, which is not a sentence I thought I'd be saying in 2021, you know, 2015. Yeah. I can definitely say Frank Kaminsky will cause you problems because he's going against college students, but in the pros in 2021, (laughs) I guess it is what it is. Good on him, I guess. But yeah, that was frustrating. This was his final four right here. Every time the Bucks are in town, he's like, this is my final four all over again. So shout out to Frank for that. I think he that guy would look good in Bucks green, wouldn't he, guys? Huh? What are we doing? <laughs> God. Yes. Yeah, he would. He'd look great. I mean, him getting him being the assist leader for Phoenix is pretty silly, but also points to the fact that, like you were saying, Riley, I mean, when when a guy like Frank Kaminsky is getting eight assists, you know there's like an issue not with your primary point point of attack defense quite as much, but clearly with weak side, with second side stuff. Like he's the guy on the other side of the action that's going to be getting the swing pass and then eight's able to make an extra pass to a three-point shooter or is able to, you know, create a little junk with a with a you know 
pump fake, drive to the rim, and then pass out to someone. So uh, clearly there are going to be some issues there. And you can also see, I mean, in terms of playmaking for the Bucks, you know, there's a huge hole there, obviously, when Drew Holiday is there. Chris Middleton gets 11 assists, which is great. You know, normally him and Drew might combine for that many. But you just see it. You, you start to really see the dearth of guys who are going to be able to make for others. I mean, DiVincenzo has three assists, but Forbes isn't a playmaking guy. He's out there to shoot all the time. In this game specifically, I mean, obviously he had a great game, but like zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals, zero blocks. This is, you know, he has he has one lane. He sticks in it. He does pretty well, and that's good. Augustine, minus 16, two of nine shooting, zero rebounds, zero assists. Um, I'm not sure what else to say about DJ Augustine. Obviously, I'm willing to give him more time, but uh, to this point in the year, Riley, he certainly has not been living up to – the uh, Ursan Ilyasova contract he received. Yeah, you kind of wish you would have given Bobby Portis the old DJ Augustine contract. <laughs> what's, what's what's going on, John Horse? Now, I think uh, I wouldn't say the experiment is a total bust. Isn't DJ Augustine notorious for having like a good year and then a bad year and then a good year and then a bad year? Isn't that his thing? Is like he'll be awful one year and then the next year he'll be like a borderline all star. And maybe we're just the bad luck of getting him in a bad year. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't watch a lot of his time with the Magic, but um, this is the danger when you go with the guard, right? Especially a veteran guy where it doesn't seem like it's for a lack of skill per se. Um, we all knew he wasn't going to be a good defender, and that seems to have uh, proven to be correct <laughs> so far. And part of that is like he's getting bad matchups or he's getting switched on to guys that are way bigger than him or whatever. Um I don't know. It's just, it's a little disturbing offensively because it seems like when he's on ball and he's trying to like make the offense work, the guys are a little too static. There's not a lot of like cutting around him or movement to like try and free things up. He'll run the occasional pick and roll with Bobby Porter, which works out. Um, He's not been good finishing inside. And to be fair, he's like an undersized guy. And if you're starting to slow down a little bit, that's tough to make happen. Okay, to that just real quick to that point because I have the numbers pull up and I've please do. Well, I love checking these numbers every <laughs> week. It's hilarious. Okay, so I mean he came okay, here are here are cleaning the glass, here are his numbers the last five years at the rim. Okay. Last year fifty four percent, sixty percent, fifty seven percent, forty eight percent, fifty four percent, forty five percent, forty six percent, forty fifty seven, regardless. So not not good, actually most of the time in really Quite bad for, for a guard. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, we can say that. Uh, this year he is thirty percent, seven of twenty-three, and honestly, I'm surprised it's that high. It, it has seemed like I've not seen one shot at the rim go in for him. And and for him too. So then, okay, so if that's not going to work for him, and if it hasn't in the past, that's you know, there's a problem all its own. But even in possessions where it's like he'll get a, an open pass from three, and it, his first instinct, I think, is almost to like play make first and try and see if there's a better shot somewhere instead of just so like he'll get it and he'll do the Giannis like hesitate. Now I feel more confident with DJ Augustine like hesitating and then shooting a three over Giannis doing it. But it's, I don't know how much of it is his instincts to try and be a playmaker, especially with like Drew not out there. And he's like, well, I have to be like the point guard then for sure. I don't know. It's just how much of it is just physically he's not there versus trying to find out a role. I don't know. It's tough. And it doesn't seem like there's anything that you necessarily look like, oh, he'll work through this, this will improve, um, except for the guys around him maybe trying to make shot opportunities happen. I don't know. It's been weird to watch for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like 
his scoring efficiency and his shooting efficiency are still similar to how they were last year. So maybe we should have known he was going to struggle given last year. He actually is shooting better from three this year than he was from last year. He's currently at 38.6%, which is a lot higher than I would have expected considering his early struggles from three. Last year, he was 34.8, but on the inverse, he's shooting 39.9% from the field last year compared to 34.8 this year. So I guess the signs were always there that he was going to struggle, but we figured, okay, you're playing with the Magic. Maybe you just you have more responsibility with that team. Maybe you feel like you have to do more, but I don't know. He's, I'm not saying Bud should trade him for another backup point guard, but if I'm Bud, I would start looking at DJ Wilson and be like, okay, what can I get any semblance of a guard for you? Because you're clearly not going to have a future here. There's no point in keeping here. I might as well get you for someone that might help us out, even if it's on a low-ass contract. Like, I Bud might have to start looking at a backup center, like another center or a backup point guard. I don't know which one is more of the priority, but yeah, this DJ Augustine was struggling in this game. He struggled for most of the Jazz game. He's definitely, given the contract, it's not looking great. I'm a little pissed right now that John Hammond didn't give us a heads up that uh, DJ is awful. <laughs> also, shout out to everybody who wanted to sign Frank Mason to the DJ Augustine deal. Looks like you might have been correct. Shout out to you guys. You, are, <laughs> you guys are on the cutting edge. I, I think all things considered, if you look at the process of getting a guy like DJ Augustine, um, you, generally, I think everybody agrees it would have been cooler to have kept George Hill. I think we would have been in a far more dominant position had we been able to do that. However, having had to include Drew, uh, George in the trade to get um, Drew, you understand why they went for a guy like DJ. You know, he's a veteran. You haven't had a traditional point guard like him in a long time. Um, yes, he has up and down, but he's been generally like serviceable for years and years. And I'm sure there were other teams that were looking at DJ, which is why we gave him as much, you know, as large of a deal as we ended up giving him. Um, so you understand the process. It's just one of those things where it's a swing and a miss. And um, for a team like the Bucks, where your cap space and your opportunity to revamp the roster is extremely limited, it just kind of hurts so far this year seeing DJ struggle the way he has because, um, you know, that's another hole. Now, I'd much rather have the backup point guard who you can kind of like transition minutes more to Drew and everything when it matters most. Um, but anyhow, you know, anytime somebody in your rotation who ostensibly is going to be a relatively important part of it struggles, it's just kind of, it's tough to, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And it's not like the con, like when he signed his contract and when it was announced, no one was saying, oh, this is a terrible deal. Everyone was at least like, oh, good. You got DJ Augustine. This is good. We needed a guy like him. Like, this is a good, good job horse way to make do at the failed situation that happened days earlier. Yeah, kind of like what Riley's like, it just hasn't worked out so far. Maybe DJ Augustine just needs more time to get used to everything. You know, no training camp, not really a chance to get to know the guys. He's kind of learning things on the fly as well. Maybe come as long as he can produce in the playoffs. That's really why we signed him. We need him for the playoffs. We don't need him for the regular season. So fingers crossed that it works out that way. Yeah, I mean, obviously he wasn't – there were a lot of reasons that the Jazz game didn't quite go the Bucks' way. He yeah. certainly didn't shower himself in glory. But um, Bucks lose to the Jazz for the last game of the week, 115-129. to 129. Giannis finishes with 29 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists. Chris, 18 points on 6-14 of 14 shooting. Uh, Brooke Lopez also adds 23 points. Um, 
you know, Bucks lost to the Jazz earlier this year. It was pretty awful game, all things considered. They hit 25 three-pointers. Bucks looked like sieves defensively. For this one, they're switching significantly more. Didn't feel like they got beat in the same ways as last game, which I thought was was semi-encouraging, but overall still pretty disappointing loss. But for me, as I watched it, I guess it it told me more about the Jazz, Riley, than it did about the Bucks and the Jazz's how they're really firing on all cylinders right now and seem to be executing at as high a level as I've seen from some box opponents. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Now, you know, there's still something to be said about, uh, you know, the Bucks did, you can't give all credit just to the Jazz. There's, I don't know, especially on offense for the Jazz or for the Bucks on defense, it seemed like they were really, really good. The Jazz were at exploiting the fact that Drew wasn't out there and... <laughs> So Joe Ingles, I think he goes like six of six from three, like in the first half or whatever. So he's immediately red hot. And the Jazz were so good at getting not only the first switch, but trying to get a second switch to get Brooke Lopez isolated on Joe Ingles. Now, Joe Ingles is not like a break him down dribble guy from the perimeter, but it was enough to be able to force the defense to start like adjusting. And as soon as Brooke is isolated on some sort of guard, it's like, okay, well, somebody else is going to have to help out Brooke. And as soon as that second guy helps out, once Brooks' man starts driving, then it's like one pass, two pass, three pass, and all of a sudden the Bucks are like scrambling around on the outside uh, perimeter. And that seemed to happen a lot in the first, like in the second half, especially from what I was watching. Uh, I don't know. The Jazz are just a tough out. Um, They have a lot of really good jump shooters in the starting lineup. And Rudy Gobert, even though he's not a jump shooter, credit to the guy, he's pretty good in space and like a pick and roll situation. Um, and he, he's all right at like tappings and everything like that. So I would, I guess, agree that it was more so indicative of the jazz being really good, but, um, and I'm trying to think of like one good thing for the bucks. I really can't. Was there anything good from the bucks? Let's <laughs> go. Um, Brooke Lopez offensively looked very, very good in the first half. He was the only person in the first half that seemed to do anything. Giannis only had two points. That was Frustrating. And then the second half, he Giannis was able to put together like what 18, 19 points <laughs> yeah, 27 or something. Seven points in the second half. That's crazy. Yeah, he, he <laughs> just it was. I don't know what it is with Giannis in the second half against the Jazz, but it's like, oh, I figured it out. Even though he does the same, I don't know. It was so weird. But yeah, the first half was. There were times the Jazz were just making shots. Like Jordan Clarkson just dribbled up and decided to do a pull up through with Giannis in his face, and he hit it. It's like when that's happening, you can't do much about that. There was another situation where because of utah's dribble penetration they were able to just get to the lane get to the lane pass it out the ball kept moving eventually i think dante almost had a steal like he had he was half a second away from stealing it donovan mitchell was able to like throw a cross-court pass from corner to like corner to opposite wing and then he swung it over to Ingles, who like didn't even do a shooting motion literally caught the ball like at the top and just fired it up there and went in like that's there are just times where you can't, no matter what you do, Utah's just going to hit that shot. Malkin didn't do anything poor defensively. Brooke was right there. Ingles didn't even like have time to take like load up the shot, and it just wetted. That it is what it is. It's interesting though. In the second half, Milwaukee definitely went a lot more switch heavy, and they limited Utah from hitting threes. I think the Jazz only hit like two or three in that whole second half. It was really impressive, but. Then that's when Utah was able to get to the rim. That's when they really get all the points of the paint at will. It It's a very good offense. It's a very good offense and a team that's playing really, really well right now. There's no shame in that. There's no 
sometimes that that's going to happen. Like this is what the Bucks do to other teams as well. Like no matter what you do, no matter what you try, they're just a better team and a better offense at the moment is what it is. So there's really not much to take away from it. No one on the Bucks really covered themselves in that much glory. I would say, like I said, Giannis in the second half was good, but Giannis in the first half just didn't do anything. Brooke in the first half was good. Brooke in the second half was a disaster. Chris didn't really do anything well. I guess Torrey Craig hit another three despite nearly dying in the game. So like good on him, but <laughs> I don't know. It was such a, it was such a weird game because you, you had the feeling throughout the whole time. Milwaukee's not winning this game. There's no way Milwaukee's going to win. It's just a matter of, can they not allow another franchise record amount of threes, which it looked like they were on pace of doing at one point, but I don't know. Ingles had 27 points. Rudy Gobert had like 20 something Mitchell had 20 something Jordan Clark said like so many guys were just hitting shots and I don't know like that hopefully you learn from it hopefully you don't have to face the Jazz ever again this season and you move on what impressed me about the Jazz is they are so good at attacking mismatches like if if Bogdan or Bojan if Bojan Bogdanovich Ever had a size the advantage. The cooler Bogdanovich. Yes, the cooler yeah. one. <laughs> Much better. He ever has a size advantage. He like goes Chris Middleton and is like, I'm just going to post this dude up with my butt and try and get a shot over him. Worked for him a couple times. When Jordan Clarkson or Donovan Mitchell had like a speed advantage against, I don't know, Bryn Forbes or DJ Augustine in the backcourt, as soon as the pick and roll happens, you know, they're not even looking. Sometimes they would look for threes, but more often than not, especially in the second half, those two would just drive directly past the defender after the switch happens. The Bucks defense can't can't recover or corral themselves in time. All of a sudden, they're at the rim. Occasionally, you know, if Gobert gets switched, he's all of a sudden has a smaller defender on him. They're passing it to him right inside the arc. All of a sudden, he's going to score. You, Riley talked about the thing with Joe Ingles earlier. It, it seemed like the Jazz were really, really impressive at destroying the Bucks' point of attack defense, which was which is not moving on a string, especially when it comes to these switches. They're getting better at it, but it certainly doesn't seem like they have all their communication down. Leads to, even though the Jazz don't shoot a ton of shots at the rim, they shoot 14 of 19 at the rim, 73%, really high for the Bucks opponent. In short mid-rangers, which is 4 to 14 feet, they're 15 of 23, so 65%. I, I thought, realistically, Utah did a great job of destroying the Bucks' paint defense, and part of that does come from the switching. You get... Your defenders out there more. Bobby Portis gets out there a lot more. Bucks big start to hedge some of those screens sometimes too. All of a sudden the interior opens up. It, it, it's going to be one of those things where, as the Bucks learn to switch more, we'll probably see some of these teams where they're able to take advantage and the Bucks zone drop scheme. The paint defense may start to let up a little if they're starting to switch a lot more and move guys like Giannis and Brooke out to the perimeter. And I guess that that I think the reason I gave a lot of credence to the Jazz is. Obviously, they hit a ton of threes in the first half, but they're just able to shift their style. I mean, they they won in a dramatically different way, I thought, than than the first time when they were just able to get pick and pop threes whenever they wanted. This time, instead of passing to a popper, they passed to a roller, and it seemed like those rollers or the ball handler was able to get to the rim at will. So, tough night for the Bucks defense, but um, you know, overall, these are the games. I guess you got to take your lumps and and learn from. Uh, do we have any questions about whether or not we have, even with Drew back in the starting lineup, if we have the personnel to run, even if they figure out the communication issues to run a competent uh, switch defense? 
because I, I think it's increasingly obvious that Brooke is not going to be that guy to, to be a switch defender. Uh, there were times where like he got switched on Joe Ingles and instead, like instead of giving him any space, he would just like try and shove Joe Ingles out on the perimeter be like, I'm just going to not let you try to get away from me at all. And Giannis, as much as he's a wonderful cleanup defender and he's not bad when he's able to keep a guy in front of him, there are times on the perimeter where it's not necessarily a foot speed thing, but I don't know if it's like a body control thing where guys are relatively easily able to get around him. And then as the issue with the zone drop is like guys are overhelping. And then when you switch and nobody has a clue what they're doing, then all of a sudden you got three defenders on one dude and it's like Jason Kidd era all over again. Like just <laughs> sprinting like, no, no, after, after each after each shooter. And then they just pass the ball to the next guy and then it, it repeats over and over again. So I wonder... Um, even if we're able to work on the communication and execution, you know, who are good switchers? Drew, obviously. Dante, maybe, even though he does a lot more. I don't know, that's maybe a little questionable. He's a decent defender, but Chris, maybe, I guess. Uh, he doesn't, for whatever reason, seem he gets stuck in switching situations all that often. I think a lot of teams, it's just obvious right now that they're trying to abuse Brooke Lopez, and they seem to be doing a good job of it, especially this past week. And if he doesn't have Drew or somebody else to help direct things, then he's going to be out on an island. So I don't know. I guess hard to evaluate without Drew, but didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence of figuring out uh, a good switching defense with the personnel we got. I also think it's hard because this Jazz offense and how Quinn Snyder has, like, just the offense that they run is so... It, switching cannot fix that. There's too much ball movement. There's too much. There's just too much going on with the Jazz offense between the ball movement and player movement that switching is really that helpful. And that's okay. I think the Jazz are kind of in that same vein as like the Mavericks where they just have an offense and they have the players in that offense to kind of break whatever you try and throw at them. And you just hope that offensively you can keep up with their firepower. I, I think the switching can work. I think it just depends on who you're playing against. You know, I think a switching could work against a team in, say, Philly. I think a team, I think it could even work against Boston. I just don't know if it's going to work against a Brooklyn or work against Utah, the Lakers, you know, teams like those. So it it's kind of tough. And hell, if Jordan Clarkson could just not be a human flamethrower when they when he plays Milwaukee, that would be great as well. That part is that part is annoying. Books also uh, wind up allowing thirty four free throws to the Jazz. They're like their free throw rate was super high that game, and I'm you know I'm not going to complain too much because the game before Giannis got twenty one free throw attempts against the Phoenix Suns. But uh, yeah, that was I mean that's just one of those marginal things that the Bucks are normally really good at that they were bad at. Some people were one. really mad at the refs after that game. <laughs> they were just like mad, and I was like, I don't know why. Like I got a couple. Just like people were responding to things on Brew Hoop. I was like, why? The refs weren't the problem in this game. The problem in this game is Milwaukee was not as good as the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are really, really good. And they took full advantage of the mismatches, especially near the rim. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's It seems like Rudy Gobert is a load to try and deal with inside. You know who doesn't play inside all that often? Brooke Lopez. Now, we could complain about Giannis not getting a friendly whistle, but we just don't have a lot of guys, except for Chris earlier this season, doing a lot more work, like attacking the rim. We just don't have a lot of guys who are going to force defenses to call fouls on them or like to foul on them, essentially. And so that's when you have a guy like Rudy Gobert, who is a very traditional, like he's just going to bruise you inside. And the only thing you can really do is slap at his arms. You know, that, that's to be expected in a free throw disparity like that. 
That's one of the few things DJ Augustine did well. I mean, granted, it was basically garbage time at this point, but he kept attacking the rim. He had nine free throws. So, you know, sometimes those drives do come away with something, even if he is terrible at finishing up the rim. That is true. Credit to him for that. One last thing about Giannis, because I think we just need to make sure we do a little bit more on him because that 47-point game was still freaking awesome. I mean, that guy is... It's even, yeah, even like you said, Riley, with the with the four missed three-pointers or whatever, I'm really liking how he isn't always getting the ball at the top of the key and then starting his stuff. You know, they're getting him the ball like a little bit below the free throw line sometimes, not always at the elbow, but like a step in from the elbow and he's like facing up and just getting past all these guys. It's almost like they're trying to bypass wherever the wall would be and just like have him set up just a little bit past where that wall is. And I feel like he's taking full advantage in, in these last two games, Jazz second half specifically and the Phoenix game. He really seemed to take advantage of that. And all credit to him too. I think he had three turnovers against the Nuggets, a single, only one turnover against the Suns and another three against the Jazz. In games like that, in the Suns game where it's like, Giannis, you're going to literally do everything for us. And in the Jazz game where again, it's like, we're really struggling. Nobody else is really getting a shot. Giannis is struggling the first half to get his shot going or he like has his foot off the gas. And yet, like I said, they're positioning him schematically in a position where he doesn't have to necessarily go full steam from the perimeter. I think that's a good move. And he's, again, leaning into that as well. He's getting in that position, and he's like, I can play under control, whether it be like a mid-range shot, whether it be trying to like back this guy down, whatever it happens to be. And so, sure, the record's not great for us, 1-2 and two this week, but close game against Phoenix, exciting game. He's really dominant. And, again, it seems like we're seeing a maturation or a slowing down in his game and recognizing how he can be most effective. If you throw Drew out there, he helped Drew helps guard, you know, a couple of the guys who are getting hot, whether that be Chris or um, Devin Booker, Chris Paul or Devin Booker against Phoenix. He's able to maybe slow down Drew or Jordan Clarkson or Donovan Mitchell. Who knows? But I, I think again, you're right. Credit to Giannis. He had a really great week. We shouldn't gloss over that even though the record didn't look all that good. Giannis made a lot of free throws. I think he, Shot almost like at least 70% for the free throw line this week. So hopefully that stays. Hopefully that trend continues. I think if they have Drew, they win against the Suns. I think Drew would have at least gotten them a timely bucket or two to get Milwaukee slightly over the hump. So one and two week, all three teams were good teams. It is what it is. We did predict it was going to be a tough week. So I, I don't think there's anything. I don't think anyone needs to like freak out or be too down on the bucks right now i think they just they played three really good teams on the road on a long-ass road trip without their third best player who pretty much impacts them both offensively defensively this is probably as good as you're gonna get and like i said if Giannis can continue shooting the free shooting well for the free throw line i'm gonna be okay with it absolutely huge huge positive for him and we are going to take a break now Close it out on the other side of this break with our miscellaneous topic. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. I'm not sure how either of you feel about um, Valentine's Day. Maybe you think it's like just a dumb corporate holiday. Maybe if you like it. I forgot um, it was. I honestly forgot it was like this weekend until late Friday. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> All right. Well, that tells you. Well, maybe you'll get some ideas here for, for gifts from my rapid fire questions, which are Valentine's Day themed. So the first one, if you were to send your partner a cameo for Valentine's Day of any Bucks player wishing them a happy Valentine's Day, who would you pick? 
current Bucks player or like of all time? Yeah, let's go current. Current okay. roster. Uh, my significant other, uh, every time Pat Connish is on screen, she's like, oh, I like him. So I'd probably do Pat Connish. And hopefully we wouldn't have another like, you know, a brush with destiny cameo situation with Pat. <laughs> but it would probably, it'd probably be Pat. So, yeah, my wife only knows. Well, when she first started caring about the Bucks back in like 2015, the only ones that are still there are Giannis and Chris. So I think I would lean towards Chris. I think I would go. I think it'd be good because you actually recognize him. I think that's good. I think Chris would send a very heartfelt message. I'm a little scared of every cameo I've seen. I mean, one kind of a messed up concept. They all look like hostage videos. So <laughs> I feel bad about that. I'd be like, here's this hostage video of Chris or Pat wishing you happy Valentine's Day on my behalf. Uh, okay. Um, have you ever bought or purchased a heart-shaped pizza? Duh. You got to go to Rocky Rococo's for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have not. <clears throat> All right. I was thinking specifically of Rockies, so I'm glad someone had. Thank you, Kyle. Um, all right. You know those those heart boxes full of chocolates that people will sometimes get? Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite and a least favorite that you try to avoid from those boxes? I hate the one so actually funny enough, I bought one of those uh, for this Valentine's Day. We There was one in there that was bubblegum flavored, like dark chocolate with bubblegum. That was horrendous. That seemed like a little bit of an outlier. I haven't seen that before. So usually the orange filled one passed me with the orange filled one. And then anything with a coconut filling, I'm on board with that. So those are my least favorite and most favorite. I don't remember. I don't think I've ever bought like, I bought like a box of chocolate. I've done that. I don't think I've ever done a heart shaped one, but... Any any that has caramel in it, I am all for, 100%. I am not – I had one that was like a blueberry, and it was weird. It, like, caught me off guard. I was just like, this is – I wasn't expecting – like, I just wasn't expecting it to be blueberry. So, yeah, don't recommend that one. But caramel, yes, 100%. All right, keep your fruits out of our chocolate, people. Keep your fruits out of our chocolate. We don't want to taste that. All right, last one. It's Valentine's Day. You scheduled a really romantic date out that evening. It's non-COVID times. The one catch is you're going to have a third wheel, and it's a current Bucks player, and he's third wheeling your romantic date. Who are you? Who are you picking? <laughs> oh man. Um, oh. So it wouldn't be Giannis because he would just make inappropriate jokes and be like, "This is not the time nor the place." <laughs> Probably not Giannis. Um. I don't know, Kyle. Do you have somebody off the top of your head? I'm, I would lead maybe, maybe DJ Wilson. He would just be there for the vibes. He'd be taking the pictures <laughs> for the Instagram. Like he would not be too intrusive. Like he'd take the pictures I would need. He would like maybe have a couple. He would think of the caption for me. Like I think DJ Wilson would at least make my Instagram look good while it's happening. Now that I think about it, I'd probably choose Brooke because he seems like a really nice guy and he seems to have good chemistry with everybody on the team. And, it, you know, I'm sure he's a good conversationalist as well. So I'd probably choose Brooke. Plus, I'd be like, wow, this is this dude's huge. I always marvel at how tall these guys are. And why not get the biggest guy on the team? Be like, wow, this guy is really bigger than me. <laughs> so probably Brooke. <laughs> all right, good. That's all I got for Rabbit Fire. Thanks for humoring me. Next up, Kyle's film review. So continue of the Disney Plus trade because 
when you have Disney Plus and you have a toddler, that's all that's all you're watching. Went with a very not a very under the radar. You probably forgot this movie even existed in that I didn't even know this was a movie. I legitimately did not know this was a movie until I watched it. Brother Bear. The story of a couple, I don't know if they're like Eskimos, I don't know if they're like Inuit, I don't know what they are, but they're up north somewhere. The brother, there's three of them, there's like three brothers. The oldest one dies at the hands of an attack from the bear. So then the middle one wants to go and get, the youngest one wants to go and get revenge. He ends up killing the bear. That's cool at all. But then because of like the great spirits, they decide to turn him into a bear. And then the middle brother is like, wait, what's going on? I don't see this brother. And now there's a bear here. So I just assume that the bear killed my other brother as well. So that he wants to go on a revenge mission while the other one is trying to like turn back into a human. It's all just it's pretty much just a tale of revenge is probably not the answer. And also there's two sides to a story because you later find out that the bear that killed the older brother brother was the mom of the sidekick of this of where the middle the youngest brother is trying to i don't know how to explain it <laughs> so the younger one turns into a bear he's trying to like okay. fi- he finds this like little cub tries to get it to like its family we find out that cub's mother is the one that killed the older brother which the youngest one killed okay so this guy basically killed this cub's mother he's trying to like return to his family so oh, he eventually feels guilty it's it's a whole mess. It just pretty much told me revenge might not be the answer, and maybe everyone should just leave each other the hell alone. It's it was a whole thing. It was weird. It was a mess. It, there's a reason why it's not heralded as like some of the other Disney classics when it came out. Four point five out of ten, I guess I would give it. Like I I don't know. There was no there's no banger of music. So going from Tarzan to this is kind of a severe letdown. Yeah, there was nothing really memorable about it. They made a second one for some goddamn reason. I would not have done that, but it is what it is. 4.5 out of 10. It's I don't recommend it. It's a very dumb plot, and it's just, it's messy. Did, so this was during that era in Disney. After Tarzan everything, we were like, let's just not do music. We watched Emperor's New Groove last night. This was in the same sort of era where it was like, okay, we're going to do some like off the wall, different like cultures that we haven't covered before. So, you know, credit to them for that, but definitely a couple of misses within there. Also, as a Midwesterner, I felt a little offended by the uh, stereotypical Canadian uh, Midwest, whatever, uh, mooses, the meese. Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't watched it before, but based on the trailer, I was like, I'm, this is not for me, probably. Yeah, I would not recommend it. It's just... How was, he, Joaquin, how was Joaquin Phoenix? I did not know he was a voice in this. I wouldn't have guessed it was him. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I would not have realized it was him until I saw the credits after. I was like, oh, <laughs> it doesn't. I weirdly, I don't think I've ever actually, like, heard him talk. I've seen him in movies. I haven't watched The Joker, so that's probably also clouded my view. I just would not have pictured Joaquin Phoenix doing something like this. <laughs> Because I think the I don't even know who else is in that movie. Now that I think about it, like I don't know if anyone famous is in it other than him. Fair enough. Four point five out of ten for Brother Bear. Miss it. Skip it if you got Disney. Skip Plus. it if you have to. But if your child really wants to watch it, like get ready, just like get ready to sit there and just be like, this is this is I don't know what's going on. 
I hope Sterling learned not to mess with bears or he's going to turn into a bear. That's the lesson that really needs to <laughs> I <laughs> to need him to stop stuff. closing the door in my face before yeah. <laughs> before we start getting to bears. <laughs> All right, up next, the fountain pen ink review. We got a new fountain pen this week, guys. I, uh, I touted it last week. Um, we got here the Lamy 2000. So it's a really unremarkable looking pen, but that's some of the beauty in it. So the outside here, you can't really tell, but it's Macrolon is the material. It's like a plastic material. Um, I'll pop it here. It's got kind of a strange design here. So you can see here for everybody who doesn't watch at home because we're not recording on YouTube anymore. There's a little bit of an ink window, but the end here, the nib is where it really shines. So it's stainless steel down here right into a um, hooded nib. I'm impressed by it. I've only had it for about 24 hours, but the thing that jumps out to me most is a lot of fountain pens, they have a sort of rounded grip at the end to try and naturally force your fingers into a certain position to hold it. This does not. And so my fingers aren't spending the whole time holding it, like for cramping and forcing themselves to try and keep it in position like it does with other pens. Um, I'll have to see how it functions over a longer writing session, but so far... I've been really impressed with it. This is considered one of the classics. It hasn't changed in design since like the mid sixties or whatever. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. So it, it's been a lot of fun. It's a piston filler, so it's really easy to fill. Um, it's got a lot of interesting features and it's really satisfying to get the clip back or the cap back on and off. It has like a nice click, which a lot of other pens don't. So um, so far I've liked it a lot. Uh, it's somewhat expensive. It's got a gold nib, so I don't want to talk about the price on it. But uh, based on the 24 hours of use, it's been worthwhile so far. So, so at least even up. if it's expensive, it is worth the money. Correct. And that's it, that could be tough for a lot of – right now especially, there's usually like pen shows where you're able to go in um, and you can like try out the pens obviously to see like, oh, how does this feel? Especially for the more expensive ones, it's a lot safer obviously to just go to these and see them or if you know somebody else. Um, and so it, you're kind of shooting a little bit in the dark with this, but money for value or like, you know, value here, pretty high from what I've gathered. So we'll, we'll see. And people, I mean, they'll gather multiples of these and slowly, but surely the outside will lose. It'll smooth down into like a, a really fine sheen and people have had their pens for like 50, 60 years and it's still going just as strong. So, um, you know, I think a pretty, uh, worthy addition to the collection. Fantastic. Thanks, Riley. That one, that's cool. That sounds fun. All right. Let's close out the week with our predictions. <clears throat> Four games this week, but just two teams that they're facing. So on Valentine's Day, by the time you hear this, maybe they already faced OKC. But first game is at OKC, and then the Bucks go home and have the ter- face-off against the Toronto Raptors on February 16th. And they face them again on February 18th, and then the next night they face the OKC Thunder again. So four games this week. What are you thinking, Riley? Is it so? Is it away to the Raptors, or is it home? Like it, all home. home versus away. All home. Yep. Okay. All home. I'm gonna guess three and one. Um, beat the Thunder twice, and then probably lose one of the games against the Raptors. Uh, it, the Raptors have been bad, but in theory, they have enough talent to maybe give the Bucks trouble. So I'm gonna go three and one this week. I'll say two and two. I just don't know when Drew Holiday is coming back. So I don't know. I, I feel as though the Bucks will struggle in one of the Toronto games. If Drew is a, if, the, if Drew's not back for the 16th, 
I don't see them winning that one. I can see them at least beating the Raptors once. I see them dropping one of the. I see them dropping tonight's OKC. I just feel as though OKC is still weirdly like they should be bad, and yet they're not. They're they're just good enough that it's like they could win this game. So I wonder between no Drew Holiday, OKC is a weird team. They they've played a lot of tough teams. Top top teams pretty tough, so I'll say two and two just because I'm not sure when Drew Holiday is getting back, and once he does get back, I don't expect him to be at a hundred percent. Yeah, I'll go three and one. I think they'll beat the Thunder both times, even though they've been frisky, and I think they'll drop one to the Raptors uh, without Drew. I think they'll I think they'll have a little bit of difficulty with the Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry backcourt at least in one of those games. So I'm going to go three and one, and that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you enjoy your Valentine's Day. And uh, go to brewhoop.com for all of our usual coverage. Share the podcast with your friends. Follow us on Twitter. And we will talk to you again soon.